Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. KSLsports.com. I'm so happy to be uh, in your life today and excited. I love doing this podcast. I love getting in the in my mind and and uh, what what actually happens behind the mask here. We got a lot of fun things to talk about today. Uh, Pac-12 players have made demands. Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner, has um, uh, he's kind of uh, made a response. Uh, I, I I'd like to share what I think. <laughs> about all these players doing this. And then, of course, going to do a fun thing. Um, what are you looking forward to uh, this coming NFL season? So uh, today I'm looking forward to these new uh, rookie first-round draft pick quarterbacks. Of course, we always like to talk about the quarterbacks. And so what's going to happen to jo- uh, Josh Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, uh, Tua Tagovailoa and uh, Justin Herbert, and of course Jordan Love, who's not getting a lot of love from Aaron Rodgers. All right, well, to start things off with, uh, a bunch of players in the Pac-12, and this is very impressive that these players were able to do it. They got together and they said, "We demand things to change," and that's the theme of our world today. Is uh, the coronavirus has gotten all of us uh, kind of twisted and turned in our world, and everyone's uh, you know getting out there and saying. Uh, I think this is wrong and and I want it changed. And so people are listening and that's not such a bad thing. Um, But it's, it's certainly compelling what these, these players have demanded in the PAC 12. And quite frankly, I I'm, I'm impressed that one they're together on this. A lot of what they're saying is not gibberish. A lot of what they're saying is gibberish. And it's like, there's no way you're going to get this and, and this other stuff. Well, it kind of it makes a little bit of sense. I want to talk through just a little bit of what their demands are and why I think this is, this is kind of a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. All right, let's talk first about some of the things that I'm like, fellas, you are way up in the night on this one. You're not going to get this one. You're not going to get it. The players feel, let's just, I need to say something before that though. The players feel like they have a lot of leverage. Like if we're not around, then you're going to crumble. Okay. I will, I will just share a little bit of advice. Everyone's replaceable. 
don't ever think that you're that important that you're not replaceable. Now, there's a climate in the world and in sports today where people are going to listen to what you have to say. So there, so now is if you're going to talk and you're going to make demands, right now is a good time to do it, especially with the uneasiness of college football and, and what's happening. Uh, just with the coronavirus, the fact that are there going to be seasons and all of these conferences are trying to figure stuff out. So strike while the iron's hot. Speak when you can be heard. Got it. But your, your ultimate leverage is a little bit perplexed. It's not, it's not so simple. And it's not because it's, you're only in college four or five years. And all of the players that are making these demands may not necessarily be the players with as much leverage. And you may be at a university where, you know, like Oregon State, yeah, okay, people aren't like dying to have Oregon State football. Now, if you're at a school like Oregon, or if you're at a school like Washington, or maybe USC, Stanford is kind of, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if most of these players are from Stanford, because they're more of the smart guys in the, in college football, and, and Cal is a pretty smart, and of course, UCLA, uh, you know, those are some of the more intellectual schools in the Pac-12. So you're, you're kind of challenged in your leverage. Just, I'm just putting that out there. And then uh, in the fact that you only have so much, uh, so, you know, you're only in school so much. And then, of course, you know, it, it does depend on the school. But if you're, if, you're a, uh, if you're a group of guys that has solidarity, that you're all together, and that you get a majority of the players uh, participating, great. That's a, that's a good thing. But if not, then, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to have consistent leverage. It just is. The NFL, it's, it's an issue in the NFL, and it's not. And, and the issue is that most careers in the NFL last three and a half years. Guys figure out what the issues are about the time they're out of the league. And you need solidarity. And plus, football players never are – they're never on the same page. They're greedy. And they have been for years. Some guys walked the picket line and there was never, it's, it's, it's kind of every person for themselves. And that's how football is. You're, you're an independent contractor. So, so having that solidarity and that leverage, there is a question about it, if that, if that makes sense to everyone. It should, because you, know, uh, you guys are intelligent. But, but aside from this, aside from that they probably don't have a lot of leverage when it really gets down to it. Uh, that being said, the demands, the ideas are really not that bad. Now, let me just talk about some that are, okay? You're not gonna take away Larry Scott's income or the administrator's or coach's income. That's not, that's not gonna go away. And it's not gonna go away because in, in all of sports, a football coach is could be the most important component to any program. And you look at look at uh, Alabama. Nick Saban uh, went to Alabama, and it changed everything. And Alabama is, you know, how how do you how do you compete with Alabama? Look at Dabu Sweeney at, at Clemson. I mean, Clemson was nothing forever, and then they get this exceptional coach. You look at Urban Meyer and the success Urban Meyer had at places like Florida and even at Utah and nothing to take away from Ron McBride or any, 
but he took Utah to a new level uh, that they had not been to. He took, you know, he took several programs, Florida, Ohio State, that, you know, Florida hadn't gone anywhere before Urban Meyer and hasn't gone anywhere since he's been gone. Now, maybe Ohio State's a different story, but the point is, is most college programs are more impacted by a really, really good coach than not. Pete Carroll, when he went to USC, turned around USC, which how could you, how could anyone not turn around USC? Well, people weren't. And, I mean, there's another sleeping giant out there, UCLA, that could be really good in football and they find the right football coach. It may change the culture at UCLA. I'm just saying that the coach has more impact than these players. So you're not going to take away these coaches' salaries. It's just not going to happen. It's a demand, but it's not a reality. Now, some of these other things uh, that, Another one is you're not going to take away 50% of the revenue from college football. You're not going to share 50% of the revenue. And simply because the revenue that supports everything, there's not, there's not a whole lot of money left over in the coffers once the season's over. No one's lining their pockets. You know, Larry Scott, you maybe argue in the Pac-12 conference, uh, is and, and, and a lot of it that has to do with you have the Pac-12 conference and you have the Pac-12 network, which are two separate businesses trying to be run as one, and and which is which is probably a, not a good scenario to begin with. But but there's a lot of a lot of money or a lot of extra money to pay for, um, you know, your commissioner's uh, salary. That, that those CEOs, uh, big corporations, th- those guys will get paid. That's just that that's not going to change when these players go out of college and they go work for IBM and they go, we want to have 50% of the revenue with the, it's not going to happen at IBM and it's not going to happen in college football either. But uh, here's what I do like about what these players have done. Okay. I love the idea of six years to play for. And I love that idea from the standpoint of, of, and maybe it's just six years in general. It doesn't matter. You can play all six of those years or not. But it gives a lot of guys an opportunity to get an undergrad degree and a master's degree. And that's, that's massive. And I think, I think people are, are maybe missing a little point here about getting a degree. I watched when I was in college, guys that came in the same year that I did, and you'd say we all were a bunch of knucklehead freshmen, which we were. And we didn't know, you know, um, our head from a hole in the ground, as they say. And then I watched these guys mature. I watched them start taking their academics seri- seriously. I watched them graduate. And I watched them go out into the professional work field. And I've seen so many of them that are, are, they've been wildly successful in their lives. And it was because of the opportunity to get an education. And that changed a lot of lives, not one or two. A lot of lives uh, were significantly impacted for the better by having a college degree. Now, that in and of itself has tremendous value. And I know there have been a lot of people like Nick Saban who have said that college education is something that's extremely valuable. I guarantee that a good percentage of these guys probably are not going to college uh, had, they, had they not had the opportunity to play football. And, and so because of, because of being able to play, it just changed the course of your life. That's extremely valuable. That's worth a lot. It may be worth a lot more than, you know, a name and likeness uh, 
paycheck of $1,200 while you were playing football in college a month. I don't know, but, uh, but it's, it certainly has tremendous value. I can, I can say that, but I like the idea of expanding their, their, uh, um, their, uh, you know, the years. So six years and the idea of getting a, a, a you know, an undergrad and a, and a master's degree, I like that idea. I like the idea of being able to go into the draft and come back. That happened to me. And it's like, oh, man, I, I made the worst decision of my life. I wish I could go back. And I couldn't. I was done. It was over. And I, I don't see why there isn't re any reason these guys can't go in the draft and say, look, it didn't work out. I want to go back to school. I, I love that idea. I think that's, that's a, tr you know, a tremendous, uh, a tremendous uh, asset and tool uh, to have, you know, to be able to kind of uh, make that determination. And I also think that you should be able to transfer. And so, so uh, if things don't work out and, and there's no penalty, like you can just go and, and there's no reason why you couldn't. And I'm okay with the name and likeness thing. I really am. And I, I think it benefits a lot of schools. And I think it's a good, a good compromise for being able to, to share in the revenue. So uh, I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about why I think they strategically did this. Now, we'll give Larry, Larry Scott from the Pac-12, we'll give his response to things. But really, I want to say, if I was in charge and I was in Larry Scott's shoes, this is what I would do uh, to, to kind of answer to this whole question of the demand. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back to Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell, your host here. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter, by the way. And if you ever want to check me out on Twitter, it's 19 Scott Mitchell. Love to love to hear your thoughts, and if you want to follow, please follow along. Also, uh, this show is Helmets Off. Uh, it's a Helmets Off show at Helmets Off Show on Twitter as well. If you if you're interested, and of course on Facebook, it's at Helmets Off Podcast. Um, you know, it's a uh, an interesting move by some of these players in college football to say, "Okay, we're we're." We're going to make demands. I mean, I, I kind of love it. I think it's gutsy. I think it's, uh, it shows, so shows something. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not put off with it. I, of course, some of the things, there's no way. But a lot of them are like, makes sense. Uh, there was, a, you know, talking about healthcare and healthcare after, after we're done playing and some of the safety concerns over the COVID-19 virus. But here, here's what, here, you know, Larry Scott's, you know, we, we certainly have listened and will continue to listen, and we appreciate this idea. He was a little bit noncommittal on it, 
if I'm, if I'm running a business and I've run a business before, um, I work in a business and I work for a business, uh, we're for profit. There's focus groups. There are things that, um, that are, are really fascinating you can find from people because all too often we get caught up in us and our ideas. And we think everyone's gonna love our ideas. We think everyone's going to be on board with our ideas and they may be great to us, but to the consumer, they could, could be something that is um, not interesting or they're not getting it or they're not buying it. I mean, they, they make movies, they, they have test audiences. You have these focus groups and they're brutal. They are not fun to hear what people think about you and what they really think about you. But you can have all the greatest ideas in the world. And if no one's interested, if no one wants to watch or tune in or to dial in, then you don't have anything. And I think it would be well and bode well for the Pac-12 if the commissioner actually, instead of giving lip service, just sat down with these players and really listened. And not only the players, but the fans. And what are fans saying? And these players are, are saying things that really should be listened to. And I like, I like what they're saying. But here, here's what I think uh, actually uh, is a smart move on these players' part. And I, I don't know if this was done intentionally uh, or if it was just like, hey, we're just going to ask for the moon. We don't care, um, you know. We don't care if we get anything, but if you don't ask, the answer is no. So let's just throw everything we can possibly throw in there. That's one thought process. Or the other one is maybe some of these things were put in here as points of negotiation. Like they know they're not going to get 50% of the revenue, but if they can get some name and likeness um, and imaging, you know, type of, of money, something, it's a win, or if they go, okay, well, we'll give that up, but you got to give us six years. You got to give us transferring without, you know, and, and so if it's used as a point of negotiation, because most of, most of their points in their demands are actually really good and make a whole lot of sense. I mean, a, a normal person would go, yeah, that's clearly, this is something that's a great idea and should be considered. So, so if they did it as a point of negotiation, then, then I'm even more impressed with these players and that they've actually, you know, thought this through to a point of, hey, we, we may be able to come to the table and negotiate. And, and these are points of negotiation. Now, of course, they're going to probably start out and say, no, nope, we want it all. But they know there are certain things that they can give on. And it's clear that there are just a couple that might work. And the same with the, the salaries of some of these commissioners and coaches and administrators. I, I don't think they're going to get negotiate that away and nor do I think they should or, or, or would want to, because most of that money actually comes through um, booster. You know, it's not from the university in a lot of state schools. It's not from taxpayers money that these, this is, this is from boosters who say I'm buying into the program and I'm paying for the coach. And that, and I, I don't know that you'd want to take that away, nor do I think you could. So it does, it doesn't matter, but I, I, so if, I, if I'm sitting down with these players, I actually would listen to them. And I, not only would I listen to the players, but I would go and I'd listen to the fans. There's a wane in college football. 
and it's and it's twofold. It's it's the consumer, and college football does a good job of keeping cost reasonable. You know, people can actually get tickets, and it's not you know it's not crazy like an NFL game, or even some of these NBA NBA games. But uh, listening to these fans because they're your they're your audience that and you've got to pay attention to what they're saying or you're really going to lose things and i i really feel that baseball has done a poor job of listening to what people are saying and they're tuning it out so you got to figure out one you got to tune in the fan base it's waning in the pac-12 it's waning actually in the sec i mean Alabama, you would think, would have sellouts no matter what, and they're not getting sellouts. So students aren't coming to the game, fans aren't coming to the game, and you got to figure out what what it is that needs to bring people to an event. And not just um, what you think, like I was talking about earlier, but what the fans really think and really feel. And so if I'm Larry Scott, I'm sitting down with fans, I'm sitting down with these players, and I'm having that really, really tough conversation. The one I do not want to have. I don't want to hear because it's going gonna, it's gonna to shed me in a light that is not all that great. And why is it so good to hear these things that you don't want to hear about yourself? It's very easy in our society, in our world, in our lives to tell ourselves and convince ourselves so much of something that we believe it's true. And, and it leads us down a path. And, and, and ultimately, you know, maybe it's not as exaggerated as, you know, like, certain things for example a guy I went to high school with was incredible smart guy you know had everything and and he got into this mindset of himself that he was kind of well he was the savior of the world or helping in that and now he's he's on trial he's in jail and uh and he's and his belief or his convincing himself of of certain beliefs has led him down a path of destruction. I know that's exaggerated, but you know, a lot of times when we succeed in life, it's because we're willing to have that honest conversation with ourselves and get a real reading on what's going on in the landscape of our life, or in this case of, of football in the Pac-12 conference or football in general. And, and so it's putting your ego aside and listening to what other people have to say. And I think that goes a long way. All right, we're gonna take another break. And when we come back, it's, uh, this is, I'm, I'm excited to, to have this conversation. What I'm most excited about this football season, what rookies, and I got to say, I'm excited to see these first round pick quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jordan Love. Who's going to succeed? Who's going to fail? Why am I excited to watch them this year? Okay, welcome back to uh, Helmets Off, uh, final segment of the day. Uh, we have uh, a fun little thing here that we're going to kind of do leading up to the NFL season and, and, and probably in and through the season. There's a lot, of, a lot of things I'm looking forward to, but one in particular is these quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round. Now, if you look back historically at how many quarterbacks have been drafted and what kind of success they've had, and there have been some epic drafts of quarterbacks. 1983, of course, started with uh, John Elway and ended with Dan Marino. I mean, think about that. And in between, the, there were some pretty good guys. Uh, Jim Kelly, of course, was, was pretty darn good. And then there's some guys that weren't. 
but the, you know, it was, it was quite a quarterback draft and that that's, that's typically what happens, you know, just because you're drafted in the first round as a quarterback or even any other player for that matter, does, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, Oh, you will be successful. And I think part of that success one is, uh, you know, playing quarterback is, is a, an unusual thing in professional football and it doesn't always equate to athletic ability. Tom Brady, one of the greatest of all time, is certainly not the best athlete that was ever drafted, but he was an amazing quarterback. And so athleticism and quarterback don't mix, but that's a lot of how the draft is is kind of vetted out, is that it's more on arm strength, athleticism, kind of changes the uh, trajectory of, of these players. I'll tell you one thing that I do find extremely fascinating right off the bat with all four of these quarterbacks is the rage these days is this dual threat right so you got Lamar Jackson you've got uh, some of these other Deshaun Watson some of these guys that maybe would be considered dual threat guys but uh, these four quarterbacks actually are throwers like they're throwers first and 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 uh, and and you have to have that if you're going to have success in the in the NFL, Herbert is probably the most traditional of all four of these guys. But Joe Burrow was the thrower; he was amazing, and and uh, not only was he amazing throwing the ball, but um, you have uh, um, you have this this whole. Um, these are guys that are going to sit in the pocket and throw, throw the football. So I want to kind of go through maybe what, what will cause them to have the most success and who I think will actually have the most success. And, and right now I really think it's Jordan love. And I think it's that way because um, typically the number one guy, uh, Burrow one, he's going to Cincinnati and that could be, a death trap. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, there got, you know, Boomer Sison did well there. I mean, quarterbacks haven't, haven't just died in, uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, but the organization is, is a tough one. It's a tough one to get over. And it's tough because it's not, you know, top to bottom committed to winning championships. So even though they've been to two Super Bowls in their experience, in their existence and Paul Brown, original Paul Brown, had a massive impact and still has a massive impact on professional football and the things that he innovated and the things that he implemented. And this is his legacy. And it's, it's unfortunate that his legacy is not greater because he had, he had a huge contribution to the success, the, the present day success of the NFL. But uh, it still doesn't mean the quarterback's going to be great. And, and so you have, he's, you know, number one, you have to have a quarterback friendly, coaching staff and organization you look at Patrick Mahomes couldn't be in a more ideal situation and there are teams around the league that are like that right now you have you have the Chiefs you have the Eagles you have the uh, St. Louis or the the New Orleans Saints Uh, you have some of these you know these organizations that understand how to nurture and develop a quarterback you have the Indianapolis Colts with Frank Reich. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of teams that are good at this, but there are a lot of teams that are really bad. And the Miami Dolphins right now, it's a scary situation. A lot of quarterbacks have gone there. Now I wouldn't have said that when Don Shula was there because I lived in that and it, and it was tremendous. And, and of course, Dan Marino flourished in that environment, 
but uh, they're not in that. It's not the same organization. It's not the same mindset. And uh, Tua Tagovailoa, I just, I, I, I think it's going to be, um, that, that'll be a challenge for him to do well. Uh, you know, you have, again, I think the, the San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers, of course, he, there's Philip Rivers who, who left. And, and um, Justin Herbert may end up being the guy there by the end of this season. And he, he may end up having a pretty decent career, but I'm not convinced that this organization is one that really is, I mean, although Philip Rivers had a tremendous time, uh, it's probably better than, than Miami. So, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if Justin Herbert ends up having a better opportunity with the Chargers than, than Tua has with the Dolphins. Joe Burrow, a lot of pressure, but this kid handled, he handled it so well. I mean, he was in more big games this past season and just, just rose to the challenge. I mean, he was, he was incredible. And I want to see how tough, I mean, he might be this tough mindset like Tom Brady. He might be that player, that guy that, because that's what, that's what Tom Brady's strength is. Tom Brady's strength is in, in his, just, his work ethic, his mindset, his attitude. It's certainly not in his, um, his athletic ability. And he's, he's, he's a great technician. He was in a great um, organization to develop quarterbacks. Tom Brady's in an amazing one now with Bruce Arians. I mean, that's another great quarterback situation to be in. So I'm curious to see if that mindset, that toughness, that winner's mentality stays with, with Joe Burrow uh, in, in, uh, uh, in the pros. Because he's, he is really, uh, in my mind, um, I think had the best season, single season of any college football player ever. The teams that he went up against, the pressure situations that he played in uh, across the board, national championship, SEC championship, playing big games in the SEC, playing against that competition week in and week out, and quite frankly, just answering the bell. I mean, it wasn't even like, like he was impressive. Now, I get it. He's got good receivers, and, but I don't care. This kid, this kid showed up. So I'm fascinated to see – where he ends up. But the last one is Jordan Love. Jordan Love uh, is not going to get loved by Aaron Rodgers. And I've talked about this numerous times. Aaron Rodgers' um, death sentence was, uh, happened when, when, they, when they drafted Jordan Love. Uh, like his time, his time with the Packers was done and is done. And I know he knows that in the back of his mind. And he got, um, you know, kind of a, the, the uh, godfather's um, sign of approval or seal of approval when Matt LaFleur came out and said, hey, Aaron Rodgers is our guy, and he's our guy for a long time. I'm just telling you, I've heard our guy, my guy, um, like, watch your back, and this thing is over. And, of course, Matt has to say that because he wants his quarterback to go into the season and feel like, like he's the guy, but they want to get in their people. And Aaron Rodgers was not a Matt LaFleur guy. And I doubt highly that they, it just feels like they don't really get along. And, and it's probably a difference in philosophy, probably a difference in a lot of things. 
But when a new regime comes in, they want to put their stamp on it. And Jordan Love is Matt LaFleur's stamp. And I'm not sure by at the end of the day that um, that might, you know, that, uh, that Jordan Love isn't that guy soon. I mean, think about Aaron Rodgers. The same thing happened to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, Brett Favre was, was Mike Holmgren's guy. And he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't the, you know, he wasn't the new regime's guy. And they drafted Aaron Rodgers. And sure enough, Aaron Rodgers got in there and he was, he was now the man. So um, as much as they want to say that Aaron Rodgers is the guy, his time is up in Green Bay and he may not know it yet. So it'll be fascinating to see how that unfolds. Because what happens is a uh, guy has one bad throw, one bad game, one bad – we'll get the young guy in. Let's see what he can do. Let's, you know, so there's always this pressure to get the new shiny object out on the field and see what can happen. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily agree with it. But you, what you can't have in the NFL is you can't get old. If you want to have success, you cannot get old. And so a replacement is always in the shadows at every position. Joe Montana went at every position. Now, you take the Miami Dolphins, and, and Marino got old. And, and uh, they really, you know, and, and unfortunately, free agency happened because I was the answer to Dan Marino getting old. That was, that was the succession of things. But it didn't happen because of free agency. And so you've got you've to continually prepare and retool your team. And if you get really old, then you fall off the cliff. And it, and it just takes forever and ever to rebuild and be competitive again. And like I said in the very beginning of this, everyone is replaceable. Everyone. So uh, it'll be fun to watch to see how and the, all these quarterbacks are all in very different situations. And to see what happens not only this year, but in years coming, uh, I'm fascinated by it and I can't wait to see it happen. All right. Helmets Off is now off. We thank you for joining us. You can um, go to uh, fa at Facebook or it's at Helmets Off or um, at uh, Helmets Off. Oh, my goodness. Slow down, Scott. All right. Let's end this the right way. Um, I want to thank you for being here. Um, Please go and uh, like us on Facebook at Helmets Off Podcast or Twitter at Helmets Off Show. the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. 
And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.